This episode of The Adaoist is brought to you by Transformative Learning Community Education. This is a tutoring service that I started, and it's something that I've been wanting to do for quite some time. Uh, what makes this tutoring service, though, stand out is its emphasis on life coaching. Um, there are a lot of tutoring services that focus on you know, test prep, becoming more efficient in math, um, services that you know, charge hundreds of dollars for this. And, you know, those things can be very important to a degree. What TLC Ed strives to do is build connections and meaning among this knowledge acquired from the child's school curricula and the social-emotional experiences during his or her adolescent stages of development, um, thereby enhancing motivation, instilling confidence, and spurring curiosity. With an increase in child anxiety and depression and you know, a decrease in self-acceptance and resilience. We see this a lot going on in our schools today. TLC Ed aims to guide students towards success by supplementing them with as much academic and social-emotional help as possible. So uh, get started. Visit tlced.coach for more information. Again, that's tlced.coach tlced.coach and schedule your free consultation today. According to the U.S. News and World Report, in 2019, Lane Tech ranked number three among Illinois' top schools and number 69 in the nation. The school graduates 98% of their students, many of whom have undergone rigorous curricula and innovative learning opportunities. With a student body of more than 4,000 students and a staff comprised of about 200 full-time teachers, Lane Tech is one of the largest successful selective enrollment high schools in Chicago. The school also houses a 7th and 8th grade academic center program that accepts around 120 top performing students a year, all of whom must demonstrate exceptional GPA and test scores. Among the diverse population of students and staff, there is also a sound engineering room, a 3D printing and makers lab, an ever-evolving computer science department, and a robust art, music, and drama program, robotics, and of course, athletics. Hence the motto, City of Champions. It even has its own memorial garden, adorned with statues and a trickling fountain right in the center of the building. It's truly a gem in the middle of Northside Chicago. So why did I leave? And after 13 years, why did I resign from Chicago Public Schools? This is the Adawas Podcast. What's up, world? How is it going? Um, yeah, <clears throat> you heard it correctly, ladies and gentlemen. I'm now a free agent, and I'm going to take my talents to wherever the hell I want, really. <laughs> um, but, you know, before I continue with this episode, let me be clear. This episode is, is not about a celebratory farewell, though liberating myself from the clutches of Chicago public schools calls for several bottles of Frosé. Um, no, there were, there were more reasons to, to leave than stay. And, um, 
many reasons of which I hope to talk about as this season unfolds. Um, but, you know, let me just say that this podcast is, first of all, great for telling everyone about everything without having to repeat the same story to individuals. So um, if anyone's wondering, why did you leave? You know, this is hopefully will clarify some some issues because it really is, you know, a big thing. I've been at Lane Tech for 13 years and, you know, that's your, you've built an identity there. You know, you've been there for for quite some time, it's it's your career identity. And, you know, to all of a sudden leave and, and do something else is uh, was not an e- easy decision, but it's also a very, like, strange one. Um, so I'll, I'll explain all that, that too. Um, you know, but I want to see, I want this episode to be something at, as the beginning of something new. You know, that's why it's called Prologue. You know, it's... Uh, it's the be the beginning of my proverbial new chapter in life, and um, you know it. It's it's also something that uh, I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to to do something, an episode by myself. Um, even though I I don't know if it's gonna be the it might be the last one. I just I don't. I, I'd rather have a guest on instead of ranting for for however long, but. I felt like this was long overdue. It was almost over a year before I, you know, since I've done my my uh, last episode with Allison, and so this is something that um, I wanted to pursue. Um, so another thing that that pushed me into this direction um, is is starting that business. You know, the transformative learning community education uh, tutoring service TLC Ed. This is something that you know I've been thinking about for quite some time. Um, it allows me to teach at my own pace, to have true pedagogical pedagogical uh, freedom, you know, to grow as an educator. Um, and you know, I just want to work with students and families more intimately. It's it's really difficult as a high school teacher to work with you know two hundred plus students and try and help every single one of them. I know that's what some teachers really want to do, and certainly not every teacher can do that. Um, but it's it really took a toll on me uh, because you know I got bogged down by not being able to, and uh, that's something that I want to do is is how do I understand families more? How do I get to know students more and help them holistically? And I I think that this business is is certainly a way to do that. So if you're looking for uh, a tutor, you know, please hire me. I'm I'm ready to go. I'm ready to help out. Uh, I need the money, of course. Uh, <laughs> so so that's one thing is is doing this business. The other thing too is building this podcast. This is something that I started, you know, years ago, and I, I just wanted to grow. Um, and it, it it is a scary thing because you know you're putting yourself out there. You're you're trying to create things from the ground up, but you know that's also the very exciting thing about it. And if I were to work full time at a at a school where it requires all of my attention and time, there was no way I was going to be able to put my efforts into this. And this certainly is something that I want to continue doing. So shout out. Real quick to the the uh, LTAC fam, first of all, all the LTAC people, teachers, students, parents, um, I certainly miss you dearly. All my high school students, uh, to Podcast Club, Filipino Club, um, 
you know, and just being in the, the unique position of interacting with all these wonderful people um, and being part of so many cool things at Lane Tech. Lane Tech has so many great things to offer. And, you know, one of the hardest things was was having to say bye to my students. I mean, they were the first people I told. And, uh, you know, it, <laughs> some of them didn't really know that I was leaving. They're like, wait, what'd he say? Um, other students, you know, were really sad. But uh, it's also another reason why I want to do this podcast is that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of still your teacher in a way. I could still educate you because I'm, I'm right here. You know, this is, this is my way of staying connected to you. And so, uh, you know, I, I, again, I really miss everyone there already. Um, but at the same time, I love waking up at nine in the morning. What? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's nice feeling uh, like you have an extended summer. It's, it's really great. Uh, so, so those are some of the, the big things too. And, you know, it's, uh, the school system, I mean, there could be tons of episodes explaining why Chicago public schools uh, have problems. I mean, the system itself, the district is the largest district in Illinois. And, you know, the, the, there's a laundry list of things that I eventually want to talk about. Um, you know, to, to community leaders, to CTU members, Jesse Sharkey, I'm calling you out, bro. Come on my show, man. Let's let's tell everyone what's going on with the strike thing. It's freaking people out, uh, you know. And we'll we'll talk more about that in this episode too. But these are things that I I, I really want to touch on, and just the learning process itself, the pro process, the process itself. It's I think when we are able to have a conversation about how students truly learn and how teachers truly teach. Um, and what improvements can be made, I that's very valuable. And uh, I want this to be an opportunity to, to have an honest dialogue about all those things. Uh, so really, this podcast is about you than, than really is about me. You know, um, I think that I would like to share a lot of my stories because I have a lot of them, you know, being there for quite some time. I've accrued a lot of uh, a lot of stories and experiences, and I'd like to share that with people and talk about them honestly. Um, and certainly, being free from uh, a CPS system allows me a little bit more uh, to speak a little bit more candidly. So um, you know, there's that. Um, becoming you know an educator is is not an easy thing, and I think honestly, though, for the past five years. I've had an opportunity to really expand my curiosity and to, to be a better educator because I became a better learner. Um, I got involved in two things that were that have and continue to be a big part of my life. Um, as some of you already know, I'm doing jujitsu, uh, which is a very uh, challenging physically, mentally uh, challenging activity. Um, you know, I have a lot of great instructors out there. Shout out to Professor Eddie, um, Professor Adam, Professor Hottis. All right. Shout out to uh, Team Redzovich. You guys have been fantastic and uh, really helping me grow. And, um, uh, and also, too, jazz piano. That's something that I've been getting into as well. And that's been fantastic. So shout out to the great Peter Schwendener for um, being really influential and uh, just a, a very patient 
uh, teacher as well. The point I'm trying to make here, folks, is that I became a better teacher in the last four or five years because I became a better learner. Um, I think my my curiosity was expanded because I got involved in these things that I'm really bad at. And when I say that, I you know I'm not I'm not terrible, but I, I always feel like there's there's a process of learning every time I walk into there. It's not regurgitation. Um, there's a genuine like thirst for wanting to know more, and that learning process somehow got lost. Uh, I think being a teacher, you you get so obsessed with, you know, when this kid needs to learn things. And, you know, sometimes they fall behind or they're not caught up with the rest. And, you know, learning isn't necessarily about reaching those benchmarks. As a matter of fact, this is kind of like a mindset that happened in the early 20th century. And, you know, in, in light of the Industrial Revolution, we we begin to, to time things. And the more... Uh, we realize that that there are students who aren't up to date or who are left behind. It gives us it kind of distorts this this way of actually appreciating the learning process, and we're seeing that more and more. Um, you know, and and that's something that again I'd like to talk a little bit more about as the season unfolds too. So so really, it's there's a lot. <laughs> Let's just say that there is a lot to go over, and I'm not gonna do it in this episode, but um, I think it's a, it's time for me to to branch out and to see what else is out there. You know, Lane Tech is is all I know. Lane Tech was a place that that I grew up in, and you know, and I know that I started very young, like at 21, um, right out of college. I, I had the, the fortunate opportunity to gain a position there, and, this school district and Lane Tech is are the the only things I know, and I would like to see what else is out there. You know, I um, what other districts are like, what other schools are like. How does learning look like outside of CPS? I think those are valuable things, and if anything, it's only going to help me grow. It's only going to help this podcast grow as well. Um, so that's that. The school system again is. It's crazy. <laughs> and for anyone who's been there for, for a long time, you know. I mean, anyone who wants to find a job there too knows. Um, but certainly people who have been there more than 15 years, I could tell it's, it's taken a toll on them. I mean, first of all, we're about 67 days working without a contract. And I'll explain more of that in a moment. But um, you know, I've just, I've seen people get into leadership positions and they just become different people. You know, there are people who, who are even close colleagues and friends of mine who have just turned into jaded and downtrodden individuals. And I mean, it, it's really sad. And, um, I, a part of me kind of felt like I was turning into that person and obviously, that's not the case for everyone. There are people who are so strong-minded and can, you know, find balance and uh, peace <laughs> within their workplace. And not, you know, this isn't just limited to schools and teachers. Like I'm sure every workplace has its challenges, but I felt like for me, 
you know, I was just going down this, this really, uh, rough road and, um, I don't know. There, there came a point where I had to take my mental health into priority. And even if that meant leaving a place that I've spent quite some time on. So, you know, the system changes you. Um, and I, I, I want people to, to know that and to be aware of their mental health. And, you know, my gosh, there's so many problems going on with mental health in our country that um, this is something that shouldn't be overlooked. And, you know, it, it does call more attention to the way that we learn, you know, and how our school is designed. I mean, we're following a model that has been around for quite some time. Lane Tech has a bell schedule still. And that's, uh, that's very strange. And I know that there are reasons why that certain design is in place. But I mean, my God, there are other ways of doing things. And I think it's important that we, we begin to open up this dialogue of, of how other places do things and what people are doing to solve problematic uh, you know, situations in their classroom, in their school, uh, among their staff and students. And I think we, we have to be a little bit more um, aggressive in, in talking about these, these issues. So let me first start off with what's going on with this whole CTU thing, because, <laughs> you know, you hear the word like strike and immediately people freak out, you know, at, at least the people who are not in uh, the system, the people who are you know, outside viewers who don't really know how the process works because, you know, you hear strike in the news and then immediately like my mom or like some titas will come up to me and be like, I heard you're going on strike. Is that, are you going to not have a job anymore? I'm like, no, no, I quit my job, remember? Um, that's not how strikes work. Uh, so let me explain all this as well as some other things too um, because I think it's worth worth talking about considering uh, the circumstances. So first of all, as far as a strike goes, all right, the, like I said before, teachers have been working, CBS teachers have been working without a contract for about 67 days, okay? Now, what we're doing or what they're doing is currently negotiating um, with the the Board of Education on this new contract. And if things don't look good for the CTU, all right, Teachers are said to vote on September 24th through the 26th to authorize the House of Delegates for a strike date, okay? That doesn't mean that we're going to go on strike. It just means that we have the, you know, the wherewithal to, to say, hey, 75% of our teachers have voted in favor for a possible strike. That's 75%, all right? 75% have to vote uh, in favor. So, I mean, no one wants to go on strike, no one does. No, teachers, you know, I mean, maybe some students want to, but um, certain, well, maybe some teachers want to go on strike as well, but no one truly wants to go on strike. Um, that alone, though, that authorization on a strike date is, should give enough power at the bargaining table for the CTU to be like, hey, we're serious. So come October 2nd, all right, this is another important de deadline, is um, when the House of Delegates meet again. 
and the delegates will be legally able to declare a strike date on that date. Again, it doesn't mean that we're going on strike because the CTU, Chicago Teachers Union, has to give two weeks advance notice to CPS of any potential strike. Okay, And that's, again, a way of saying we're really, 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 really serious about this. Okay, So that's that. There's a timeline of things. It's not that we're just going to walk out, you know, in in mid-September, and then all of a sudden you're going to see a bunch of red in the streets, all right? And by red, I mean shirts, okay? So so that's something to, to keep in mind. Um, and that's what's going on right now. And I think that, you know, information like this needs to be spelled out a little bit more because people don't really understand it. And in order for change to happen dialogue needs to happen and awareness needs to be raised. And, you know, this is, I hope, very helpful for the people who who don't really know what's going on, you know, and really talking about and asking questions is, is super important. So with that said, it's like, okay, well, what are we negotiating? What can we possibly want? I mean, my God, teachers, you have the summers, right? Yeah, you had the summers off. I mean, that's got to be something. I mean, you know, it's like, shut up, okay? Just that argument is dead, all right? You go ahead, work your butt off in the classroom, babysit about 100 plus, 20 plus kids, and you would want the summer off as well as other holidays, okay? So, so stop that argument right now, other people. Um, so what are some of the things that we are negotiating? Okay, first... Paraprofessionals, okay, and other school personnel, many of whom actually hold bachelor degrees, masters, PhDs, you know, they're making less than $36,000 a year. And you combine that with uh, an increase of cost of living, and it's just, that's not, that's not reasonable. And uh, these are the people who are, you know, our clerks, um, uh, the people who are helping students with special needs, uh, clinicians, these are the people who are working behind the scenes, not necessarily in the classroom, um, but who are, who are honestly helping the basic human needs of our students. And there's not, first of all, enough of them. And second of all, they're not getting paid enough, right? So that's certainly something that, that we're fighting for. We're also fighting for smaller class size. And, you know... <laughs> Uh, one, I think it was one year, my wife was, uh, she was a teacher for a classroom of like 42 kids. And granted, she did have like parent helpers and parent aides, but it's like, dude, 42, that's insane. I went to another district just to see how it was. And I'm like, Hey, what's your class size? I'm like, Oh yeah, we had 20, you know? And obviously this is a suburban, uh, middle school, but it's like, can you imagine how how effective learning would be if you had a, a classroom of less than like 20 kids? So that's something that we're trying to, to negotiate as well. Um, and so that's, that's one thing. The other thing too is um, less test scores or less tests rather. Uh, the fact that, you know, we're constantly bombarded with tests is insane. Like last year, uh, I had students... I had my seventh graders, they had to take five standardized tests, 
Okay, and that's not including the semester exams that they had to take in their other classes. So you can imagine the bombardment of standardized tests that they have to take, many of which they like didn't take seriously, and I can't blame them. And some of these test scores are are part of the way that we are evaluated as educators. So there's again those issues that that kind of come to mind. Um, so there's a lot of financial problems and there's a lot of structural problems that that need to be talked about. And um, you know, again, this this podcast is, I hope, a a great way to to get this information out there. Um, another thing too is a lot of people are are wondering, well, you know, does Chicago Public Schools have the the money to even do any of these things to make any of these changes? Yes, yes, they do. And again, I would like to have someone on this show explain a little bit more, but let me give you just a brief explanation as to why they do. So in 2017, okay, the General Assembly enacted the Evidence-Based Funding for Student Success Act. And basically what this is, is that it determines how much funding each school district requires to achieve, uh, or what they're, I'm sorry, what each school district needs to achieve adequate resources, okay? Now, how much each district, uh, sorry, let me, let me phrase that. It determines how much funding each school district requires to achieve adequate resources. Okay, so that's one thing. I'm reading from something. It also is uh, how much each district can raise with local resources, okay? And how much additional funding the state will provide to make up the funding shortfall. All right, so this is something that was enacted in 2017. And as a result, Chicago Public Schools has received enough money, they've rebounded financially. And as a low-income school district, we receive the lion's share of available state funds um, until hopefully we have the same financial footing as wealthier districts. So yes, there's a 20% increase in budget because of the state funding. And so the money is in place. We, we They do have it. It's just a matter of seeing what we are asking for, what we are bargaining for, and whether or not they'll follow through with it. And so I know that's a lot of information, but uh, again, these are, these are things that I think need to be talked about a little bit more because a lot of people don't know what's going on. They just think, oh, teachers want more money. And that's not, that's not the case. You know, and there are even CTU members who are unclear as to why we are going on strike or why uh, a possible strike might, might happen. So the conversation can continue on, but um, you know, it does nothing if, if we don't face these issues and you know, we don't really talk about them um, candidly. <sighs> so that's that, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I know that 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 is one aspect of it. I mean, you have policies, you have politics, you have bureaucracy, you have all those things, and those those certainly are problematic. But what I also saw at um, at Lane, and again, the reason why I bring that up is because it's Lane's all I know, is I felt like 
it was getting crazy. And <laughs> let me clarify, like the way that our public school system is designed is, is antiquated. And I feel like there's, because the, the way that certain things are designed, it has taken curiosity out of the classroom, right? Um, and again, you're going to hear me talk more about that this, this season as well. And I, I got worried because the way that these kids were learning, they just, they didn't care. And I know that I couldn't speak for, for all those students, but there's a significant number of students who, who walk to school, you know, dreading it. Um, teachers who walk to school who are dreading it. And a lot of it just has to do with either the amount of workload that's been given to us, but also, again, the way that things are designed. I have never seen so many students over-medicated and diagnosed with emotional and learning disabilities ever since uh, I started Lane Talk or started at Lane Talk. There's so many during the last year um, with students with 504s and IEPs. Now, for those of us who are unfamiliar with this terminology, 504s are plans in place to accommodate children with a variety of disabilities, anything from allergies to high anxiety, okay? Um, IEPs stand for Individual Education Plans, during which students who have a disability in learning or behavior receive specialized instruction either from the classroom teacher, the special ed teacher, or both. So I, I saw just a, a significant increase in um, depression, uh, depressive anxiety, um, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, that's ADHD, and even some new shit that's out there like disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. You know, I've never seen so many hospitalizations of students as well. Uh, you know, some result in because of a, a suicide attempts. And I understand the benefits of certain medi medications, um, but popular opinion suggests that medication is more effective when supplemented with counseling, guidance, and positive personal interactions. And again, how can we possibly do that if we're understaffed? But that 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 calls for our attention. You know that that's something that is is not okay if our children are suffering because of. Because of what? Because of the high demand of what they need to do, you know? And it's crazy. It's so ironic because schools are the same place that kids can go to to feel safe. You know, there are a there's a significant homeless population. And, and Lane Tech is, is a place where some of these kids can go to because they have no other place to go. They have, you know, free and reduced lunches that they offer at Lane. This is something that that these students need and get. But at the same time, you know, there's also the aspect of being overworked. Another thing too is like the lack of sleep that students get. I asked my students on an average how much sleep they received. And 
virtually everyone said I average about five to seven hours of sleep a night. Do you know how much sleep a growing child should get? Eight to nine hours. So, so these students are, are being inundated with homework. They're being inundated with, again, tests. And it's, it's so crazy how, how, how busy these kids are. And I mean, again, I don't know if necessarily blaming anything is, is the right perspective, but I certainly think that asking and, and, and uh, discussing some of these things is important, at least, just so that perhaps it can shift some type of perspective that, or, or maybe even question some biases that, that we're overlooking. You know, um, grades are another thing, and I get it. This overemphasis of college, you know, I, I understand. I mean, trust me, I am a first-generation uh, student. My parents immigrated from the Philippines. I was born here, and nothing was more important than me going to college. Uh, and I understand the importance of getting into a good high school, too, right? But what I am saying is that we value these ends so much that we have de-emphasized the value of the means, which is the actual learning process. The majority of students at Lane who I worked with, you know, like I was talking to one of them and a girl, I mean, she came up to me in tears, freaking out because she was several points away from getting straight A's. Now, anyone outside this situation can logically step back and say, you know, well, what's the big deal? Your grades are nearly flawless, you know, but for her, she saw it as if I don't get straight A's, I won't be accepted to the high school of my choice and I won't get accepted to the best university and I won't get the job I want and I'll be stuck working at McDonald's. <laughs> like this is a fear for a lot of this, a lot of the students, you know, this seventh grader apparently had superpowers because she was able to see the destruction of her future. You know, and then this is a, a popular cultural mindset that has been impressed upon our kids. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't go to college or we should devalue that, but what I am saying is that there is an overemphasis on it. And I get it. You know, every kid wants to succeed and every every parent wants their kid to succeed, but at what cost? You know, um, their health. So so that's something that um, I would also like to, to talk about as well, you know. So think about, think about the way that, that you perceive learning and the way that you were educated uh, growing up and the way that your child is being educated now. You know, what are some of the differences there? What are some things that work? And I understand that some of these conversations can't happen. Parents are working two, three jobs, and uh, you know, a, a, a nice educational dialogue doesn't really happen all the time at home. And I understand that. Uh, but also, you know, we just, even as educators too, we have to think about how we are instilling curiosity and what we're expecting of our students as well. Um, I'm a big 
supporter of this idea that from true learning stems from genuine curiosity. And what has gone on where curiosity has been taken out of the classroom and this this focus on just you know repeating what the teacher says or uh, repeating what is said in the textbook so that you can just get by. I don't want you guys to just get by. And again, I understand the reality of getting by. Um, but but what mindset have we instilled in our society where that is the only thing of value anymore? You know, questioning and critiquing are a big part of the scientific process. And science is quintessential to our democracy and understanding of how, and understanding that, first of all, is how democracy um, can grow and how education can grow because they go hand in hand. So we should always question and critique and think about how our curiosity is being challenged or how our curiosity is being cultivated um, because honestly, from that comes, comes genuine learning. And I hope in my last years at Lane Tech, I was able to do that for my students. It seemed like I did. It seemed like they were genuinely curious about the things I had to say. But a lot of that had to do with me appreciating the learning process again and stepping away from just getting them by, you know, um, it's 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 not an easy thing. There's not a a complete solution to all these problems. There's a lot of gray area and there's a lot of things to reflect on. But I mean, if we don't, then I think that's the biggest problem. We can't be indifferent to some of these issues that are out there. Uh, we can't just accept the status quo and say, hey, you know, this is just a part of it. Just you got to grind it out and, you know, sit down, shut up and listen to the teacher. Like, even though that's certainly important, um, I think there's more to it. Um, and on that note, <laughs> I want to hear the people who are making differences and who are changing and, you know, creating little revolutions in their classroom in that they are doing things differently. I mean, there's a there's this teacher at Lane Tech who removed all the desks in his room and replaced it with just, you know, uh, seats and stools. And this was such an interesting idea because he was breaking away from the, the traditional uh, layout of a classroom. And that alone can incite some type of uh, different way of thinking, both as a learner and a teacher. And I found that really profound. Um, I want to hear people who are, you know, Lane Tech alumni to be guests on this podcast. I love hearing what you're all doing now, the changes that you're making. And I think the world needs to know how far you've come. Alumni like, you know, Allison Pinsack, Colin Boyle, Taylor Mitchell, Nicholas Del Carmen, you know, you guys are, you're all hope for the future in which we as teachers have invested our time. And already you're doing great things. And I couldn't be more proud of who you are and uh, who you continue to be. You know, I want to talk to the people who have made great changes in their school and seeing how 
it, it's helped transform the community because your work should not go unnoticed. Whatever you're doing as an educator or a mentor or a community leader that benefits one student, 30 students, an entire school, the world should know about it because that can inspire others to do same, same things. You know, people like Dan Law, Mark Smithovis, Dion McGill, you all are doing positive things to cultivate youth identity, potential, and culture. You know, it, it really is inspiring. And, and sometimes the revolutions happen, you know, just the way that you treat another student or the way that you treat your peers or your colleagues. And students, the same thing too. I mean, it doesn't have to be drudgery. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be the same thing. What are you valuing when you step into that classroom? And who are you valuing? You know, are you hanging out with the same type of people who have the same perspective as you, who just, who have a very super superficial understanding of, of what it means to be a good person? Um, like, who are you reaching out to? You know, what changes have you made in your routine? Are they positive? And I hope, I hope that you start thinking about that as well. You know, do something creative. I think that everyone should do something creative. I believe that everyone has, has the creative capacity to bring something to the table. You know, it's important to celebrate our creative sovereignty because it defines who we are and where we come from. So this is hopefully... Uh, it, and it, uh, I know it is. It's, it's, it's the beginning of a new, uh, I guess, I don't know, path for me. Um, and uh, I hope to, to walk it with courage, as terrifying <laughs> as this, this new career path is for me. Um, but I'm going to wrap up, and I want to leave you all with the story real quick. So for those of you who left lane, or for those of you who are still there, um, I want to mention a man named Byron Jones, uh, because one of my fondest memories of Byron was actually my first year, uh, teaching at Lane Tech in, in 2006. So <laughs> Byron was an eccentric English teacher, um, who wanted nothing more than to help others appreciate learning and remind them that there is still love in the world. So we had this professional development day. Um, and one of the questions of the professional development day was like, what have you done? You know, and I just started off. So I was like, oh God, I have nothing. I didn't do anything. Like I'm fresh out of college. Um, you know, and, and so sure enough, in the middle of the, the main office, Byron comes up to me and, and asked me, uh, Monaco, what have you done? And I, I just, I stared blankly at him. I couldn't, I couldn't think of anything. And it seemed like one of those instances where like the whole room just stops and listens to what you have to say. <laughs> and so he kept pressing. He was like, Monaco, what have you done? And again, no answer. Um, Byron's life was cut short at the age of 55. And the void that he left in the English department at Lane can still be felt by some people. There's a black and white photo of him as a strapping adolescent hanging in the English department, maybe even acting as a reminder of where we still wish we could be, the good old days, perhaps. 
And though he's gone 13 years later, his question continues to ring in my head. And the truth is, is that I still don't have an answer. But instead, for you, my dear Byron, it's not what have I done, it's what I will begin to do. <laughs>